punishing the men. That is just tough. But uh, anyways, uh, that'll, that'll be a fun time. Don't forget, next Sunday, again, we won't be here at 10 o'clock. We'll be 11 o'clock doing the barbecue down the street there. So should have signs on the windows if you should decide to get here early or something like that. Um, should be a great time. So um, look forward to that. Uh, one other announcement here I wanted to make was um, I was reminded just even reading uh, just through the, the one-year Bible reading today, there was a, a section here in Corinthians where the Apostle Paul was just going through and kind of honoring certain people, calling attention to them. And I was reminded how we are overdue to call attention to a couple of people in our midst here in a good sort of way. Um, and so, uh, you know, it says this in verse 18 of First um, Corinthians chapter 16, but it just says, They have been a wonderful encouragement to me as they have been to you too. You must give proper honor to all who serve so well. And you know, we uh, you may or may not have known this, but we've had two part-time campus staffers here over the last year or two, and they just wrapped up their, I don't know if you call it tenure or their duties or their whatever, burdens or whatever. Um, they wrapped it up just this summer. July was their last month, and so um, uh, both of them wanted to serve for a year and the other for two years. And so we wanted to just give them a, a certificate of, of recognition and honor them here. And we're thinking we might take them out to lunch as well, something like that, uh, McDonald's or something. Great. Um, so it just depends. We'll have to look at the budget, talk to the finance guy here. But uh, anyways, if you guys would, give a warm welcome to, to Megan McBath and Kayla Lindsay. Come on up here. They have a, so Megan served was with us for the last full year. Here's a t- certificate for you um, and one for you, very official one. And so, um, but uh, you know, I think about this just so it campaign we've been doing over the last year and. Uh, talk about just sewing it. I think these two probably, you know, every Tuesday and Thursday they were out on campus, either the Auraria campus or Regis campus with an information table and just sometimes uh, going around with surveys and trying to get opportunities to share the gospel. But I would say between the two of them over the last year or two, there's, the gospel's gone out hundreds of times from these two right here. And we just are, have been blessed by your work and by your hearts and we just want to honor you and thank you guys. And so one more round if you guys would. And Thank you so much. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to talk about this um, part four of our series called Equip. And so let's just pray one more time, and we'll uh, take a look at this, um, this part four. So if you would, just bow your heads with me again. Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning. God, we just thank you for bringing us together here and just giving us uh, a wonderful time of conversation, of friendships, of fellowship, uh, just even a chance to worship you together. And God, I pray that you would just redeem our remaining few minutes together this morning. And I pray that uh, this presentation that we look at, that it would be encouraging um, for everyone's faith who's here. Lord, you know where each one of us are at in our journey of faith and of knowing you and um, living for you. And God, I just pray you'd meet each one of us where we're at this morning. Bring some to faith, strengthen the faith of others, uh, and equip others to share their faith um, uh, more effectively than ever. And so we just ask you, you'd meet us here, make the most of this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Alright, so if, uh, if you are new with us, this is uh, part four in a series that we started this month here of August, and it's, uh, the series this month is called Equipped, and it's really just helping people be equipped to share their faith, to share your story, to share his story, the story of Jesus. Um, we started off the month with just uh, kind of some general practical transition lines, we call it, you know, fishing lines, great fishing lines, to try to transition conversation into the gospel. Um, and then uh, Brad shared uh, the part two in the series was just about sharing your personal story of how you came to faith in Christ and how you might pass it on to others. Last week, Jeff shared about um, how to go through a booklet, uh, sharing the gospel, the booklet called Do You Know For Certain? And this morning, I'm going to just share um, a presentation called the Outreach Diagram. We're going to share, um, tell you a little about this tool, and we're just going to go through the PowerPoint together here. If you've ever heard of the Outreach Diagram um, or the Outreach Class, we have a class that's usually a... 12 or 13 weeks long and through the process of the class um, you have to memorize like 33 verses, 8 transitions, you have to share the presentation three times on your own and three times with another and it's an extremely thorough class and it's kind of a pass or fail situation and we, we honor those that pass and we, we shame those that don't and uh, no, we don't, we don't do that but there's usually a good intentions the first week of the class and a heavy attrition uh, over the next 12 weeks but um, but one of the things and we hope to do that class again um, personally I found this tool to be the single most effective tool in sharing the gospel that I've ever used that I've ever been trained with and I've had the opportunity to train a number of people and see a number of people pray um, to receive Christ into their life and so it's, I think it's a great tool one of the verses I, I really uh, like when I, I think about this presentation is from Matthew 13 and it's a place where Jesus was talking about this, the parable of the sower, just going out and this, this uh, farmer's just sowing seed all over the place and the seed falls in certain places. But he says this in, in, the, um, in Matthew's account of the, the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 18, he says, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And it goes on later at the very end to talk about the best results from sowing the seed of the gospel. And he says, The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. But this, uh, this gospel talks about really one of the big differences in the results is that someone understands it. And in the first case, someone does not understand the gospel and the devil comes and takes whatever understanding they have and just takes it away from them. But really, someone who understands the good news about Jesus Christ, there's a chance that it'll take root in a good heart and it'll have a hundredfold return in, in just sharing that one time. And so, um, But I think a lot of it comes down to understanding. When it comes to tools to communicate the good news, there's a lot of different tools. And we've been trying to equip you from, uh, you know, from sharing your story. You can share your story in, in one minute or three minutes. Or, or you can share a booklet. Sometimes you know that can take, you do that in five minutes to 30 minutes to however long 
someone will give you. Um, this tool is, is kind of more on the, the side of the spectrum. It takes a little bit longer. The class where you draw it out by hand probably takes about a good hour to sit down and draw out the, this diagram. And depending you know, how good your penmanship is, how many times you have to erase, uh, it could take even longer. So, um, but one of the neat things about this is that we have it in the PowerPoint format. And so you don't have to go through the class. You don't have to pass 12 weeks of excruciating pain or anything like that. All you have to be able to do is click a button. And it's really just a down arrow over and over again. And you can share this entire presentation with very little training. And as a matter of fact, uh, your training course will be this morning if, uh, if you want here. Um, and so just a few tips. Uh, you have a handout here, hopefully, that you can fill in some notes as we go and just kind of take notes. But, you know, a couple things to think about is that... Um, in order to share this presentation, one of the things that's good to have is is a friendship with whoever you're sharing with. If you've got a friendship, if you've got a little bit of social currency or credibility with someone, regardless of where they're at in their faith, I've found people from, from atheists, the people who are, are real close to placing their, their faith in Christ, um, if you've got a friendship with them, they'll, they'll sit down and they might just, you know, in some cases just humor you to, to share it. Other cases, they might be really interested and sometimes you might have to bribe them with a, with a shake or something like that. I've, I bought a few chocolate shakes in my time sharing this tool but um, but you know I think so I want to encourage you to be investing in friendships the quick acronym that we shared probably in a series a while back was called BLESS I'll review it super fast some of you might remember what BLESS is some of you might not um, BLESS the B is begin to pray for someone begin to pray for someone who you want to share with L listen to them as you're talking with them just listen to them see what their paradigm of life is see what their spiritual needs might be but just listen to them E is eat with them. It's spiritual to eat a meal together. Jesus ate with a number of people. Said he'll eat with us again in the, in the kingdom of God. And so, uh, you know, eat with somebody. S, so there's B-L-E-S. S is serve them. Figure out a way to serve them. Get in their life. Help them move. Help them, you know, clean something. Help whatever a way you can serve them and come into their world a little bit. And the last S is share. Share your story with them. Share the story of Jesus. So look to bless someone. Get a little friendship going, and then you can share this, this tool with them. And uh, I'm just going to, uh, you know, there's, there might be different places where you're at. One, uh, I just want to talk to a few places where you might be this morning or where you might be when you share with someone, spiritually speaking and in your faith. Uh, think about someone who maybe is not a, uh, a, a, maybe someone who's an atheist who would say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God's existence. Well, if you have a friendship with them, I've found that you could still share the message. And the way I usually approach it is um, just from the standpoint of intellectual integrity, saying, well, you may not agree with this message, but, but you know, it would be good at least to know what the Christian message is, right? Um, and, and you might not like it, you might not buy it, but just for the sake of intellectual integrity, don't you think it would be good to, to know the message? And, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But if they're your friend, they might just do it again to humor you. Another place, you might bump into someone who is, would say they're, they're an agnostic. You know, an agnostic, I think, of two types. One is those who say, you know, I just don't know. I, I just don't know if there's a way to know about God for sure or not or about going to heaven. And then there's some that say, I don't think you can know. And the neat thing about this presentation is it's really framed off of this, this last verse here, 1 John um, 5.13. And, and the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his first disciples, he said this. He said, I write these things to you 
who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And to someone who's not sure or doesn't think you can know, you know, I just like to say, well, the Apostle John, he wrote down some specific things so that you may know. And the Bible says you may know about eternal life and death. And there is a way. And so you can approach it from that angle. Um, and, and you can share from there. And, and again, you know, they may or may not agree, but if you have a friendship with them, they, they might just want to hear, well, what does the Bible have to say? I, I may or may not buy into this. Another uh, person who, who you might be, maybe you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time or something, but uh, you're not very sure. Are you going to heaven or not? Maybe you still wonder. Well, this, again, is framed off with some verses from the Bible that help you so that you can know. You can know you have eternal life. Not 50-50, not your best guess. The Apostle John said, hey, there's a way that you can know you have eternal life. And, and I'm going to tell you about it. And that's why he said he wrote some of these things. And that's what we have in the Bible. And so, and the other thing is maybe you know you're going to heaven. Maybe you're a Christian and you're like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm 100% sure. Um, well, maybe it's time to take what you know and you're confident about it and share it with others. And look for an opportunity to befriend someone and flick through a PowerPoint presentation on your laptop, on your iPad, on your notebook, on your whatever you got gadget. Um, and, and maybe there's, it's time to share that again. Maybe it's been a while. And my hope is that this would kind of refresh your skills, your memory. You don't have to have all your verses memorized. All you got to do is be able to click the button, the down arrow button, which I'm going to be using here. So it starts off, the whole presentation, it starts off with the two questions we've talked about before. And on your piece of paper, if you don't mind, um, I'd like to ask you these two questions. You can put your answers down. The first one is this. How sure are you that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven? How sure are you that if you died tonight, hypothetically speaking, get in a car accident, get hit by a bus, whatever could happen, how sure are you that you'd go to heaven? Percentage scale, zero being not sure at all, uh, or 100% being I am completely sure I'd go to heaven. And sometimes maybe someone's like, well, I don't even know if I buy into heaven and hell or not, and... Well, obviously your percentage would be lower if you don't believe in heaven, um, you know. But you might even just say, hey, hypothetically speaking, um, if, if, you know, there's a percentage, what would you say? Sometimes people are like, I'm 100% sure I'm going to hell. You know, I've had people say that before. But you just want to put an answer down. If you don't mind writing that down on your sheet of paper there as well, this is just for you. We won't have you turn it in and grade you or anything. Um, often there's a lot of different numbers, you know. Uh, a lot of times there's 80%, 90%. Jeff talked about that. Depends on how high of a performer you see yourself as. Ninety, I used to think I was 95% sure. Sometimes you find people that are just like, well, I'm 50-50. Let's just be honest about it. And uh, write your percentage. And the next question to, to this is, um, let's see here. Now, again, hypothetically, if it happened, you got an accident, you died, you came before God, and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? What would be your answer? Now, some of you, again, if someone's like not a, they, they say they're an atheist or something, I'd just say, well, hypothetically, you come before God and there is a God and there is a heaven, what would you say? And, you know, it just gives you something to work with. But if you do believe in heaven and hell, what would you tell God? Why should He let you in? Please write your answer down here. Make sure no one's cheating or copying off the person next to you. Um, again, if you already have been through this presentation, I encourage you to. Take this as a training opportunity, and those who go through trainings often take notes, and so I hope you would do that as we go here as well. But write your answer down, and uh, here's some of the options you might consider. I've never killed anybody. That's, that's a good thing. Um, pretty good person. I tried my best. 
might just write down other. You know, that might be a good answer for today. Other. God, I just claim other. Um, but anyways, you might have an answer like this or something different. This is just kind of what's on your heart here. But then we'll go uh, from there. This kind of the presentation is based off of those two questions there. Uh, I say two of the most important questions you could ever ask anybody. Encourage you to, as you, if you have a friendship, there's a way you can work these questions into your conversation. Um, just, you know, as the, as the conversation goes to certain subjects, you might be able to say, you know, I've got some real important questions for you. And, and you can jump into those two. Because then a, a follow-up question you can ask, if there was a way to know for sure, would you want to know? And, that's a, and if they say, yeah, I, I kind of would want to know, and you could jump into this. So we'll just go through and push some buttons here. Um, you know, it starts off by this. Um, so spending eternity in heaven means spending eternity with God. What are some character qualities that come to mind when you think about God? Now, when I do a presentation like this, uh, whether I'm drawing it up by hand or doing PowerPoint, here in the last year I, I had the opportunity to share the PowerPoint presentation several times and even saw several people that were ready to invite Christ into their life. But you try to make it uh, you know, a, a dialogue, interact this morning for the sake of time. We're going to try to go faster. The PowerPoint, I clicked through it one time. I was sharing with a guy here a while back that uh, my battery was not fully charged and I didn't have my cable plugged in. And so I had about 30 minutes to go through it and we got it done. At the time he was ready to pray to receive Christ, the computer died, and, and he was like, "Whoa, you know, it's kind of wild." But anyways, we're going to try to click through this faster than not. And so, what it comes to mind when you think about God? You know, you can let someone share what they think. They might have all sorts of thoughts, but eventually we bring it down to. Here's a couple things we're going to talk about: um, certain facets of God's character that we want to focus on here in this presentation. One is that God is love. You know, it says, "Whoever does not love does not know God," because God is love. And God uh, expresses Himself as love. He exists as love. And even that's an eternal love. And, and there's a whole other thing there. But God is love. Another thing the Bible says is that God is holy. Now one thing that's cool, I think, about this presentation is that you take a few words that are maybe considered churchy words or religious words. And, you know, it's not every day in class. You know, some, you, you use the word holy, you know. You tell your English teacher, boy, that was a holy assignment you gave me or something there. Um, Sometimes people use the word righteous as slang, but, um, but holy simply, the essence of it, you might simply say means perfect. God is perfect in every way. We're going to look at a few facets of his perfection here, but he says, be holy because I'm holy. Uh, one facet of his perfection, his holiness, is that he's absolutely pure. I love this verse from a prophet in the Old Testament who said about God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. God is absolutely pure. That's a part of his holiness. God is also righteous, dude. He's, that was righteous. Um, you know, righteous, again, is a churchy word. Got a lot of different stereotypes, maybe. But it simply boils down to, to being right. God is right. God uh, determines what is right and wrong. And it's not arbitrary. It's an overflow of who He is. God is righteous. And He's given us a, a set of standards. Great question here. What are some righteous standards that come to mind when you think about God or the Bible? Any of you know a set of standards that might show us God's righteousness? Ten Commandments. Awesome. Alan, you are awesome. Um, so, uh, Ten Commandments are great. Well, I love to joke with people sometimes. I say, you know, hey, if, if I had the money, I'd give you a dollar for every Ten Commandment you can remember. You know, and they get through like a couple of them, some no more than others. I usually say I don't have any money on me right now, but, you know, you get the idea. Most people learn these in Sunday school at some point in time. But they do give us a glimpse of God's righteous standard. And 
Ten Commandments, you have, we have them here for you, so you don't have to remember them if you got the PowerPoint version. Um, don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. Uh, covet, you know, is a churchy word. Again, maybe we don't use that often, but it's the idea of strongly desiring something that's not yours. Maybe it's a, a relationship, a, a person, uh, some, someone's property, something that's someone else's and you strongly desire that you wish it was yours and not theirs, and that is called coveting, and that is sin. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness. A couple other ones here. Don't swear. Don't swear. You know, that's a, maybe a modern way of saying don't misuse God's name, the name of God, the name of Jesus Christ. God says don't misuse my name. That's, that's unrighteous. And so, um, no adultery. Um, also says honor your parents is one of these Ten Commandments. And then the last three will group into this command here. Um, kind of the idea of love God supremely, but that includes have no other gods but the Lord your God. Have no idols or images. And keep the Sabbath. There's a day devoted to God. And those are the Ten Commandments there. So that's, again, part of God's perfection is that He's righteous. This gives us a, a glimpse of His righteousness. Um, another part of God's holiness is that He's just. He's perfectly just. He's, he's fair. He's not partial. God doesn't have a standard for rich people that's a lot easier than the standard He has for poor people. God doesn't have changing standards for men or women. God is fair and not partial. And another part of His justice is that in being just, He must punish all unrighteousness. That, that's part of justice, to punish unrighteousness. Things that have violated His eternal law, His eternal character, must be punished or He would not be perfectly just um, but he is so that's a quick glimpse of what God is like now let's take a look at man and see whether he's the same or different what do you think is man in general mankind the same or different from God as God different right sometimes people say yeah we're the same he's God we're God you know kind of the same deal depends what circles you run in there but um, you know uh, in general the Bible would say that the man is different than God uh, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah said this. He said, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. But we tend to be independent, doing things our way, by nature. We don't like to have, oh, who's, who's the big boss out there? Someone's telling me what to do. I just really want someone to tell me what to do. We tend to be like, no, I can run my own show pretty good here. I don't want someone telling me what to do. And in general, uh, we'd like to ask the question of who does man love supremely? Anyone guesses? Himself? That tends to be the answer people give and tends to be the answer God has revealed in the Bible as well. But man tends to love himself, which, you know, is a slight problem being as in the Ten Commandments, we're supposed to love God supremely. So there's a, a little bit of a, a trouble thing, a trouble indicator there. Other thing is that this, this spirit of, this attitude of Loving oneself and being independent and rebellious is the same attitude of Satan. It got Satan kicked out of heaven. He, he didn't want anyone above him. He wanted to be the greatest one, not have to report to God. And so that attitude of rebellion is the same attitude that, that Satan had. And Now this attitude, this independence and rebellion can lead towards the next problem. Is um, Man in general is unrighteous and sinful. This verse in Romans 3.23 just says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. You know, we ask people on campus sometimes, you know, have you ever sinned? Most people admit they've, they've sinned by some standard or another. Occasionally we bump into someone and say, no, I'm perfect. 
And I just always loved it. Well, let's, you know, let's ask your ex-girlfriend, boyfriend. Let's ask your parents. Let's ask your roommates. I bet someone out there might testify to the fact that you're not perfect after all. Um, most people are honest about that. Um, we fall short of God's standard, God's righteous, perfect standard in a number of different ways. One is through our actions. Maybe we steal. Maybe we do something to dishonor our parents. Our actions, we, we can break God's laws here. Um, we fall short in our thoughts. This is kind of a tough one. You know, a lot of times Jesus was talking to some really religious people that kind of tried to, to dot their well, dot their eyes, cross their teeth, however you do that. Um, but, you know, he said, by the way, you know, God looks at your, your heart and your mind. You know, the, you may say you've never, um, this one here, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sometimes we can think it's only, God only judges what you do in your body physically, but but did not the same God make the heart and His standard for the heart is, is just as pure as the standard for our bodies. And so he says, you'll be judged for adultery if you look lustfully on someone you're not married to. He also said the same thing about anger. Do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Most people, you know, I've never murdered anybody. Um, well, that's good. But he says, anyone who is angry at his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. You've got to watch. You call people fools or idiots or things like that. But God says, hey, I'm going to judge your anger in your heart will be judged murder because that's, um, God has a standard for your heart just as much as what you can express through your body there. And so that's a really high bar. Our thoughts can, can cause a lot of sin. Um, words, we can lie. We can misuse the name of Jesus Christ. We can use Jesus' name. Maybe we just say Jesus mockingly or something or the name of God. God will, will judge that as unrighteous and sin as well. So when you're doing a presentation like this, you can go from man in general. We've all fallen short. Most people agree with that. The goal is to try to get it a little more personal. And if you're sharing a presentation with someone, I like to say, you know, I've got my own set of sins here, and someone shared those, you know, this type of presentation with me. But this is for you. What are a few of um, the Ten Commandments or a few things you've broken of, of God's Ten Commandments, you know, and let them... Pick a few. Sometimes you say, you know, in the last year, are there any Ten Commandments you've broken? And a lot of times you're like, ah, oh, not that I can think of, you know. The last ten years, maybe, have you done something wrong, you know? Like why or anything like that. But anyways, um, you do it in a friendly, loving sort of way as you would your friend. And they might laugh, laugh and chuckle with you. Um, but here's a few options here. You know, and you just talk through, you know, well, have you ever misused God's name or the name of Jesus Christ? Have you ever been so angry in your heart you wish someone was dead or something bad would happen to them because, you know, that's like murder. You ever lusted in your heart after someone you're not married to. And so you can make a list. But then the next question is, um, what do you think this does to your relationship with God? What do you think these sins do to your relationship with God? And, uh, you know, most people say, oh, ah, it can't be good. It's not good. I just think about it in a, any relationship, in a marriage relationship, you do some things like this to your spouse and it's not going to be good, right? It's, it's going to be really bad. Um, but it's even worse with God, who has an eternal set of justice and these righteous standards. And, um, but, you know, the Bible says that this sin separates us. The Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah said, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Our sin separates us from God. The New Testament gets a little more specific. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. When you sin against God, it's not just a separation. It actually brings about death. Uh, a wage, you know, what is a wage? 
we like to ask people that when you share what it, what is a wage in general something you earn yeah sometimes they say eh, something you're paid or something it's something you earn and what God says here is what we earn when we do a work of sin we earn death a death sentence and there's several types of death the Bible talks about and so we'll just go through those real quickly here first one is a physical death most, most people think of death they might think of a physical death this verse in Hebrews says um, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment we die once. This kind of answers some questions that people who think the Bible might promote. You get to try again, reincarnation, or um, purgatory, or things like that. Well, the scriptures say that you die once, and after you die, you face judgment. There's, there's not a chance to redeem your second life, or you know, nine lives, or anything like that. It's, it's you face judgment after your physical death. The Bible also talks about a spiritual death. This one here says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. When we sin, it creates a, a, a spiritual death, which is, you know, the essence of death is separating. Physical death, you separate from your body. Your spirit separates. Uh, spiritual death is when you are separated from God. Your relationship with God is severed. And, and you die as far as your relationship with God goes. And the third type of death the Bible talks about is an eternal death. This one here says, um, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. You know, so there's, uh, when we die, um, there's a little equation here. Um, when you die physically, if, if you're spiritually dead and been separated from God, when you die physically, you will be eternally separated from God. It's also known as hell. An everlasting destruction, really um, shut out from God's presence, from anything that is good, anything that God has brought to the table that is, that is good and that we enjoy or love, will be separated from all of that for all of eternity. That's known as hell. Um, and so this is, in some ways you might say, this is the bad news. Uh, you know, this presentation is about the good news, but in some ways the context is the bad news about our sin, about my sin and about your sin. Um, you know, the obvious question is, is there any way to bridge this gap? Let's see what we got here. Hey, it's in the box there too. Good. Um, you know, man, man has tried to bridge this gap as long, ever since I think he's sensed this distance from God, sensed a, a guilty conscience. Man has tried to figure out ways, how do I get things right? How do I get rid of this guilty feeling that I have here? And sometimes people think religion is the way to go. They attempt, well, you know, God must want me to get religious. That'll make things right. And Jesus said this. This is a pretty profound verse that really rocked my world back in the days. Because if someone asked me, why should I let you into heaven? Or why, if God asked me that, I would have probably said, well, because I'm a good person and I go to church. And this is a verse that rattled my thinking. But Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord... Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And Jesus was saying there would be a time where religious people would approach him and say, Lord, Lord. And he'd say, I never knew you. I never made your acquaintance. You did your religious things or whatever, but, but I never knew you. Get away from me. And religion's not going to cut it when it comes to getting right with God, getting rid of our sins. Philosophy, sometimes people, you know, philosophize, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in sin, I don't believe in... You know, at one point the Apostle Paul said, where's the wise man, where's the scholar, where's the philosopher of this age? 
has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And he was writing in the context of what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and how all these other philosophies kind of seemed silly in light of what Jesus had done in rising from the dead and, and taking our sin to the cross. And, you know, he just said there will be a day where these, the, the thoughts, the wisdom of man is going to look silly in the presence of God and God's plan. And we have to be careful of philosophizing our way into heaven. Another way we think we can get into heaven is by our good works. I've sinned against God. I've broken my relationship. I, I can do good, right? I, you know, you've got to outweigh the good with the bad. And there, here's a verse that says, um, For it's by grace you have been saved, through faith. This not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know, no one's going to get to heaven and go, Man, I, I did enough good works to outweigh my bad works. You know, I, I know I sinned, but I sure served at the soup kitchen a lot, and, and I should be here. No one's going to have that opportunity to boast before God. Good works is not going to get us into heaven. Um, there's a couple analogies we share on that. Some of you um, might know. There's another verse in the Old Testament that just says, Because of our sin, all of us has become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You know, I've heard the analogy before that imagine you, you made a mess in some, you know, I don't know, some mansion. Some, someone has this pristine mansion. It's absolutely clean, no bacteria, anything. You made this mess and you're going to try to clean it up, but, but somehow you got dumped in like a, a barrel of tar and oil and you got this rag and you're going, I'm going to go clean things up. And, and what we end up doing is making an even bigger mess in compared to God's holiness and God's purity. And, and our sin makes us like one that actually... We can't clean things up that we made. Uh, another analogy we use is the cookie analogy. Um, this is one you could throw in. I'll pick on someone here. Um, let's see here. Corey, let me pick on you a little bit. You know, say I did some things wrong to Corey. I, uh, you know, I lied to him. I, I drug his name through the, through the mud. I stole from him. A few, few, you know, a few things that... Kenneth better not do to him as a roommate there. But, uh, but I want to make things right with Corey. And so I'm going to do something good for Corey. I want to make his favorite type of cookies. What's your favorite type of cookies? Chocolate chip. You know, we've got to like chocolate chip. I, I like those too. But So, you know, I'm going to make things right. I'm going to do good. And, uh, and, and I'm with you in the kitchen. I'm making these cookies. And the only catch is that I've got this uh, super uh, contagious skin disease called leprosy. And as I'm doing, you know, some of you might know leprosy. It causes your skin just to rot off your body. And I want to do Corey this favor, and I'm there in the kitchen, I'm cooking, and my skin's kind of falling into the batter. You know, I might lose a chunk of my ear, maybe a tooth falls in. And I'm done with these cookies, and I present them to Corey and say, Corey, your favorite cookies, is, is, you know, isn't that such a good thing? It'll make things right. Would you eat those cookies, Corey? No. Well, why not? Chocolate chip skin cookies with fingernails would be disgusting, you know. And, and yet, that's what our sin does in our, in our best efforts. We try to get things right with God and we try to make, God, here's these cookies. And God goes, you know, I'm too pure to have your tainted cookies. Sometimes our cookies, our good works are tainted with selfishness. And I want to get into heaven, so I'm going to do something good or maybe not so good. Maybe it's, it's tainted with selfishness and sin. And, and God can't accept our good cookies to get into heaven, to get right with them. Um, Another way we try is the best I can. I was like, I've sinned against God, but I'm just going to do the best I can. And, you know, that has a few problems. I think this, this verse here says, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Um, you know, it's the idea that, I don't know, how many laws do we have to break to become a lawbreaker? In God's eyes, you just have to break one law, and one law carries an eternal sentence, and that's enough to be trouble for a really long time. Um, but we do more than one. You know, I'd love to be, 
in my thoughts, in my speech, in my action, that one sin a day would be pretty awesome um, for me as a pastor. I think that would be great. But um, So imagine we crank, crank the numbers on that. One sin a day for 70 years comes out to only 25,550 sins. Eternal violations of God, you know. And any judge in his right mind in the U.S., you brought 25,000 violations to him, it's not going to let you off. I did the best I could, you know. I just have a problem driving. I don't see so good. I love the speed, you know. It's the best I could. And no judge is going to let you off. And if we're honest, who does their best effort all the time? I don't think we, we do that. But it's going to fall short with God as well. And so... Um, you know, I'd like you to think about whatever you wrote down in that question. What would you tell God? Why should He let you into heaven? And just realize that whether if it's your religion, if it's your philosophy, your good works, the best you can, according to the Bible, God says all of those are going to fall short. The wages of sin is death. There must be death to, to satisfy God's righteous justice, you know. And so um, these things fall short. But the good news is that God personally provided a solution for our sin problem. He, he provided a solution in the person of Jesus Christ. And that, that is the good news. It gets pretty dismal there for a while if you dwell on these, how we fall short and our attempts. And, but God provided a solution. And that solution is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, um, you know, there's a quote here I'll just share real quick about maybe the difference between true Christianity and, and other religions or philosophies. Um, most religions require man to reach up to God. True Christianity is God reaching down to man. God provided a solution for us because man's efforts were never going to get us right with him. And so that, that's what Jesus is all about. But he's the solution for two reasons. And we're going to fly through these two reasons real quickly here. But one is um, because of who he was. And who do you think Jesus Christ was? That's a question you can ask whoever you're sharing with. Uh, who do you think Jesus was? Anyone? Some answers out there? Unless you take the class before, don't answer. Um, a carpenter, okay. Carpenter. Sometimes you'll get a, a teacher, a good teacher, a good moral teacher. Some will say the Son of God. Whatever that means to whoever is saying that. But um, what we draw out in this presentation is that Jesus was the Son of God. It really means He was God in the flesh. This verse in Colossians said, In Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. If God were to become man and live and be one of us, the Bible says that He did that in Jesus. That's who He was. He was God in the flesh, God on this planet, visiting this planet. And there's a number of credentials we want to look at that why... Why some people ask, well, why is Jesus any different than other spiritual leaders? Or why is the Christianity different from other religions? And, well, here's a few reasons why. Some credentials that Jesus has over anybody else, uniquely making Him God's solution for our sin problem. But one is that He claimed it. I love this verse here. It says, I and the Father are one. And at some point the Jews were going to stone Him for saying, I and the Father are one, and some of the things He was teaching about. And He said, well, why are you going to stone Me? It goes on to say here, you know, He asked, which miracles are you going to stone Me for? Um, they said, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew he was asserting to be God in the flesh, and, and they thought it was blasphemy. Rather than thinking it could possibly be true, they thought he's blaspheming, and they tried to stone him. And so it was clear he, he asserted that claim. A lot of people, you know, other religious leaders don't assert that. You know, the prophet Muhammad or, or the Buddha or things like that, they did not ever assert, hey, I am God in the flesh and, and therefore you should listen to my teaching, follow my ways. 
they claim to be messengers and things like that, but, but Jesus claimed to be God, a mere man, in, uh, God in the flesh, the Savior that was to come. Jesus not only claimed it, He backed it with miracles. You know, he did this, I love this verse here. Jesus asserted this about Himself. Um, you know, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. If you don't believe what I'm telling you, I'm God in the flesh, the Savior who was to come, at least look at the miracles I've done. And let that speak to you uh, about this subject. And he healed the blind. He uh, caused the, the mute to speak. He opened deaf ears. He raised. He helped paralyzed people walk again. He raised people from the dead. There were miracles that had never been seen before. As a way of saying, this person is someone special, unique. This is the Messiah, the Savior who was to come. If that wasn't enough, he lived a sinless life. At some point he asked, uh, can you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? And, and no one, they tried to trap him in uh, accusing him of sin time and time again, but they never did. And he said, hey, look, basically, if I'm not lying to you, why don't you believe me? Um, others, again, other religious leaders, things like that, did not ever claim to be perfect. They have a debt to pay for themselves so they could never be a substitute for you and I. And, and they never claimed to be, but Jesus did. And if that's not enough, I think these last two are really the kickers that cause Christianity to stand out above any other religion, any other uh, view of faith. Cause the, the scriptures of Christianity to stand out over any other supposed holy writings. Because the Bible uses prophecy in a way that no other religion does. No other um, holy writings use prophecy like the Bible. The Bible is pointing to Jesus to say, hey, by the way, when I show up on this planet... I'm going to show up in this location, Bethlehem. And I'm going to be born in this lineage. And I'm going to be in this time period. And I'm going to die this way. And this is how much people are going to pay. And this is the life that I'm going to live. Jesus had over 300 things uh, pointing to Him as being God showing up on the planet. And nobody else, they don't even dabble in prophecy like this. Sometimes someone says, well, Islam really does. And, you know, Islam, if, if you ask people about it, a lot of the prophecy from Islam... It tries to leverage from the Old Testament prophets because the Old Testaments were speaking on behalf of, of God and, and they were pointing to Jesus. And so they try to leverage certain things from the Old Testament. But nobody has their own source uh, documented hundreds of years in advance and being lived out in great detail like, like the Bible and specifically pointing to Jesus as the Savior, the solution to our sins. And then the resurrection just blows things out of the water there. You know, it's um, no one else has... Uh, kind of the overwhelming credibility for something like the resurrection than Jesus does. Sometimes on campus people talk about, well, there's the Egyptian gods and they have, you know, their version. Have you ever heard of Horus? You hear of Horus sometimes. Have you ever Google image in Horus? Uh, you pull up a picture. You know what that picture is? Horus is a picture of this uh, type of person that uh, the body is human and the head is a bird. You know, Horus never really lived. Horus did not rise from the dead. Horus is a myth that was only a myth. But Jesus, you know, the difference between the story of his resurrection and any other story or things that are claimed to be myths is that um, the resurrection really happened. And there were witnesses that recorded it. And they died uh, taking their accounts to the rest of the world. They, they gave their lives saying, we, we lived with Jesus. We touched him. We saw him before. We saw him after he was risen from the dead. He, he really was the Messiah. And they gave their lives testifying to that. And no, nothing else even compares to that. So, but, um, you know, so that's, he's the solution because of who he was, but also because of what he did. And 
The question we ask here is, um, Jesus said many times he came into the world for a specific purpose. And do you know what that purpose was? You know, we like to just point it to, to kind of personally to say, um, we'll, we'll look at that verse here, but I'd like to just say Jesus came into this world to die for you. He came to die for you and for me. And he came to die for all of us. This presentation is for you, but he came to die for you. Back up to that verse here, Isaiah says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. And the New Testament it says like this, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus came to die for you and for me. And that was his, his mission, to take our punishment upon himself, the eternal Son of God taking on our eternal punishment and offering um, his righteous life as a substitution for us. This one, um, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I was just trying to grasp, it, even recently, um, understanding God's love for us and how it's expressed this way. Think about, you know, think about people in your life. Do you have people that you love enough that if you were put in a situation where you could die and maybe to save their lives, would you do it? Maybe a family member, a spouse, a loved one. Would you give your life for them? I tend to like to think that I would. And when push came to shove, I guess we'd find out. But I think that I would. But imagine this love that God has for us while we were misusing His name and lying and living independently and rebelliously and unrighteously. God expressed His love for us while we're still doing that. And Christ died for us. Uh, His love far exceeded our deserving of it. We, we were enemies of Him. We were sinners against Him and He died for us. And um, You know, on the cross, something amazing happened that, uh, you know, God's love and God's justice came together. Sometimes you try to think about, well, if God was just loving, sometimes people think God should just be this loving, forgiving, merciful pushover. You know, no matter what you do, he just, if He loved you enough, He would just let everything go. And, and if that was the case, God would be this cosmic pushover. Oh, you Santa, no big deal. Hitler, you guys, yeah, you shouldn't have done that, but it's all right. Let's live happily ever after. I shouldn't spit here, sorry. Um, but, uh, but God's not just this loving God. He's also just, and He must punish unrighteousness. Now, if God was only just, and all of us had sinned, you know, God could have said, hey, I'm a just judge. Tough luck. You violated my law. Boy, you know, it's going to stink for eternity for you. But God's a combination of eternal love and He wants a loving relationship with us why He created us and He is just. And in Jesus going to the cross, both His, His love and His justice could be satisfied. Jesus was punished. The eternal Son of God was punished in the ways that we should have been punished. And, and so that we could have a loving relationship with God. And, and that's all offered to us as a free gift. Some of you know the judge analogy. You know, we'll try to wrap things up here quickly. But um, the judge analogy is the idea of, you know, imagine you could have any car, any cool car that you wanted. I was talking to uh, my daughter Tisha here recently about it. She said she would have a Nissan Skyline GT something. GTR, GTX, GTB, I don't know what it is. Um, GTR, I think, almost a $100,000 car. But imagine you had this, this cool car that you wanted. And you're driving around going, i got this cool car. For me, I don't know what it would be. It used to be a Hummer. I wanted to drive a Hummer. Uh, back in my network marketing days, I test drove a Hummer over at Medved like 15 years. No, 
18, 20 years ago probably. But uh, they wouldn't even let you test drive a Hummer by yourself. Someone had to drive it for you. You got to be in the passenger seat all strapped in on their obstacle course. But anyways, imagine you have this cool vehicle and you're driving around the city going, man, I'm cool. I got these wheels. I can park wherever I want. You get tickets. You get uh, all these violations. And eventually you get enough of them. You don't care. You're just throwing them back. What's the big deal? The law, you know, the law, small, whatever. Um, and eventually the police put out a warrant for your arrest. They arrest you. They you're like, oh man, I'm busted. They haul you into court, uh, and you're just thinking, oh man. Um, except you walk into the courtroom and you look up and you see the judge on the judge's bench there, and you go, like, oh, it's my, it's my favorite uncle, your favorite, some family friend. You may not have an uncle. I've got an uncle Larry. I go, man, it'd be good to see Uncle Larry up on the judge's bench there. But you walk in and they're like, they're talking to you. Hey, you know, I haven't seen you for a while. How's it going? You're like, oh, good. Um, you know, they're like, did you do all these violations and things? Like, yeah, you know, and but I'm glad that you're my friend. This could work out good. Um, but you know, then they tell you, you know, I got my job, my role as a judge here because I, I uphold the law of the land, and I've got to give you um, the maximum sentence for this. And it's either a hundred thousand dollar fine or ten years in prison. And you're just like, ah, oh, don't have a hundred thousand dollars on me right now. Um, I guess I'll have to do the time. And so. Uh, you know, before the judge slams the gavel to issue your sentence and have it carried out, he comes down off the judge's bench and takes out a checkbook. I think people still use checkbooks today. I do on occasion. Um, but, you know, he takes out a checkbook, checkbook writes, writes out a check for you, $100,000, slaps it on the table and goes back up to the judge's bench and says, you know, what will it be? Um, would you take that check or, or would you do the time? And really that's... Uh, I hope you would take the check. I'd be like, I'll take the check. That's what I chose. Um, some people think, well, you know, I don't want to take any freebies. I would do the time. Which seems noble except for one problem, that in this thing with God, um, to do the time is an eternal death sentence separated from God in hell. And, and that's not going to be a good thing. As noble as that sounds, it would be terrible. It would be the worst thing imaginable. And so, um, but you know, the question becomes, does uh, everybody... Uh, Through Jesus, God offers heaven as a free gift. It's like a free check. But does everyone receive this gift? Uh, Well, the Bible says no. Uh, The Bible says no. Only those who believe receive this free gift of eternal life. We're just going to close with uh, looking at what does it mean to believe. Uh, The Bible has a certain facet. I remember when I used to hear, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. I used to go like, yeah, that sounds good. How do I do that? I didn't even really fully know. I, I want to believe few things just to clarify that here and we'll wrap it up but first part of believing is that you must repent repent again a churchy word just simply means to have a change of mind a turnaround of thinking about two, two things about yourself you know this says that he commands all people everywhere to repent you have to change your mind about yourself that you have sinned against God and you, nothing you can do to get you right with God and about Jesus that he has done everything that was needed to help restore your relationship with God and give you eternal life. But you have to change your mind about that. No one comes into this world thinking, well, I'm a sinner and I've just got to find my Savior here. Usually it took me almost 25 years to, to get a clue that I needed to have a change of mind. Um, second thing is you've got to have a, a faith, a saving faith or a trust. This believing means to, to trust in Jesus. And this verse, yet to all who received Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And this, this type of saving faith or trust, it's, it's not a temporary type of thing. It's not just intellectual, you know, acknowledge the fact Jesus existed, He's recorded in history, yeah, I believe in Jesus. 
That's not what we're talking about. It's not a temporary space. I remember when I was in college, I called myself a Christian. I used to pray before tests, like, Lord, help me. I didn't study, or, you know, I crammed all night long and I've forgotten everything. Um, but I would pray, and I think sometimes God might have even graciously answered my prayers. And then I would go out and party and get drunk and do my own thing. It was a very temporary sort of faith. This type of faith we're talking about is, is not just temporary. Um, it's, it is two things. It's a, one, it's a transfer of trust from whatever you wrote down. If, if God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? Whatever you wrote down is your answer. Whatever comes to mind, your philosophy, your good works, you have to transfer your trust from that to Jesus Christ alone. And it is trusting Christ alone. It's not Jesus and you've got to go to church the rest of your life or Jesus and something else. It's, it's trusting what Jesus Christ did on the cross, trusting Him alone. This is that faith that will save you. Um, last part is there's a, an expressing to God, the word confess, here, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's, you've got to express that. You have to make a choice to express that to God. It's not, it doesn't happen accidentally. It's kind of a, it is a deliberate choice. Now, think about when you get married or something. You could, you could cohabitate, live together, do all sorts of things, but until you say, I do take this person, you're not lawfully married. Now, some might say, well, what about common law? Well, God doesn't do common law marriage. You've got to say, I do to Jesus if you're going to be saved from your sins, if you're going to get eternal life. And, and that's a part of God's believing in Jesus is personally saying, I do to Him as your Savior and inviting Him into your life as your Lord. And so that's the, kind of the essence of it here. There's, when you go through the presentation, you ask if it makes sense. You can do a review. But really, all of that comes down to one question. I think... Um, the two questions we asked at the beginning of how sure and why should God let you into heaven, this is probably the, the most important question I've ever asked anyone in my life is, would you like to personally open your life to Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life? You ask that question, and I want to ask that to you this morning. If you're sharing with someone, you can ask that to someone you're sharing with. But this morning, maybe, maybe you came in here and you weren't sure you're going to heaven, or, or maybe you've never made a deliberate choice to invite Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. Would you like to personally open your life to Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life? You can do that right here this morning. If you're sharing with someone, you can, you know, a number of times I've been in a restaurant and we're like, you know, you could pray right here and invite Christ into your life. Receive Him as your Lord and Savior. This morning you could do that. You can do that as you share this presentation. This presentation we have, um, it's online and uh, it's on our website under uh, the Essentials. And then what is the good news? And you scroll down to the bottom and there's this PowerPoint sitting there. If you can find it, uh, you can use it. Otherwise, we'll email it out to you here. But, you know, all of this, if someone, someone's here this morning or even if you, you're talking with someone who really goes, you know, I do want to change my mind about Christ and myself and I want to transfer my trust to Jesus alone and I want to make a deliberate choice to invite Him into my life, you know, you can pray with Him right there. And we're just going to close this time... Um, you know, just looking at a prayer here that, that you might pray. And um, if this is you this morning and you feel like, you know, it's, it's time, I'm ready. I remember 17 years ago when, when I, I knew it was time for me. I had called myself a Christian, but I started realizing more and more that Jesus probably wouldn't call me one of His because I was doing my own thing. I wasn't living for Him. I wasn't representing His name. I was living for me. And, and eventually I realized I needed Jesus as a Savior. I thought I was one of the good people, and I was pretty sure I was going to heaven. The more I learned about His standard, uh, I realized I needed a Savior, and I didn't have one. And um, I heard a message with some of the truth like this. Uh, 
well, over 17 and a half years ago up in some of you in Fort Collins. And afterwards, I, I just broke down and I prayed a prayer. Something like this, similar points related to, I'm a sinner, I believe Jesus died for me, and I invited him into my life. But if that's something you want to do this morning, you could just, um, you could just pray, maybe even um, repeat after me. I'm going to read through this prayer. But if you would, let's just bow our heads. If this is something you'd like to do this morning, just join me in this prayer. Um, and then we'll close. You might just tell God something like this. Um, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go ahead and uh, just close in a prayer here. Again, this... Close on this verse here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Verses before it says, um, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you've prayed to invite Christ into your life this morning, you have the Son, Jesus Christ, in your life and you have eternal life. He is your ticket uh, to be with God forever in heaven. And so... um, We'll just close again and I'll just pray for us all. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for this time. Again, I thank you for um, the gospel presentation just um, and how it's in PowerPoint format that we could just share that with others. God, I just pray you to give us opportunities. Give us friendships that we could share this message, this good news with others. I pray that you would open a great door, a wide door for many to respond to this good news. That you would change lives or you would forgive sins you would bring about new creations give um, like your verse says if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old is gone the new has come pray that you would save many Lord and create many new lives using us to, to share this good news with this neighborhood with our friends and family and Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to hear um, the good news this morning just pray you give us opportunities to share with others we pray in Jesus name Amen Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming this morning. And next week, remember, barbecue, 11 o'clock down the hill there. Um, we'll, we'll, We'll see you next week.